GameForge's In the Hunt, Season 4. Retooled, rearmed with more knowledge to help you reach your performance goals and your next level. In the Hunt members, mount up. It's time for the hunt. Hey there, Fuel Nation and GameForge's. This is Brian Bailey bringing you a new In the Hunt podcast by myself. That's right, I have gone solo. I'm Sniperville. I'm hiding in the weeds, looking down at my prey. Alright, anyways. So, what we're going to talk about this week, I think is really exciting. I think this is something that I've been teasing out with a couple different coaches and in the system here over the last couple weeks and months. Uh, A number one question I've been getting from a lot of coaches that have either college coaches or junior programs, how can I be more efficient in applying GameForge data to training? So what we're going to do is talk about training reps and simplify golf uh, training and kind of where to go look and what to train. So once again, let's dive in here and simplify golf with training reps. So the first thing people ask is where can I, what should I focus in on? You know, this player, I shoot 74 average. Where do I need to focus? Well, without a good data source, it's hard to say. And a lot of times what happens is you kind of roll into your own biases saying, I'm really good at hitting wedges, uh, so I'm going to train wedges a lot. I'm really good with a driver. I'm going to hit driver a lot. That might be an issue that you're actually solving, but more times than not, most people's training goes back to what they're good at already, and they just kind of maintain that, which is important. We call that benchmarking. Uh, We don't want to lose ground in areas we're really good at. But we've got to learn to be able to focus, right? Be able to really dive into a certain area and put attention and really try to move the needle because I need these areas to move to reach a certain goal. Uh, What we've learned in golf and inside of scoring, once you get inside the 70s, it's always an incremental movement of pieces, one or two pieces, three pieces at a time, moving slowly to get you to a bigger number. It's just not one piece can move. And also what we've also kind of learned um, with scoring as well is you can't have big gaps. You can't have holes. If my goal is to shoot par better, I can't have certain areas that are just holding me back so much that I think I can overcome it with other parts of my game. Um, So let's look at this player really quickly. So the GFI shows you everything in relationship to score. So this player is averaging two over par through 11 rounds. Uh, We drop the gray bar down and anything left of the gray bar as actually taking them under their scoring average, so better than a two under or two over player, and anything right of the bar is actually taking them above or they're playing high, a higher level of you know three over, four over, five over, etc. Anytime you see the orange bars, that means you are outside of the scale. So this player scales goes to six under to ten over. So anytime you see the orange stretch, that means you're outside of that scoring scale. Um, so if we kind of the first block we're going to look at is uh, just scoring, and you can see that they're averaging 2.8 birdies, which is basically almost a scratch player. You can see their bogeys are out to about a two over player, which is 3.45. So we've got to learn to take bogey out of the system, and we can see that our doubles are just too high, 0.64. So doubles and bogeys are keeping us from getting closer to that scratch player. Uh, If you look at ball striking, which is kind of the next block down, you can see ball striking is a strength. You can see greens, you can see shots to greens, and you can see effective green. Everything to the left and actually, you know, playing anywhere from a one to four under player. So that part of the game is trying to get this player to be lower. Uh, And then what we can see inside of putting, inside of short game, 
we see the bar is stretching a lot to the right, right? So those are areas that are kind of preventing uh, this player from reaching their goal. Is actually trying to pull them above two over par. So the GFI does a really good job and shows you in relationship to score. So I would say as a putter, this player averages more like a five over player. And as short game, I would say roughly the same. So ball striking is an under player. Putting in short game is an over player. That is the traditional college look, right? Really strike it usually pretty well. Don't putt and chip all that great. Um, so this player really fits the mold as a good Division One player, and this is a good Division One player. So uh, from this, like I said, it gives you that concept of what's going on at its simplest root. So if I don't use GameForge or I use another system, if you just go to two main pieces, and you can do this with a sheet of paper, you don't even need a stat program, take... Your round, I, today I shot 90, and I had 38 putts, right? So I had 38 putts, so I had 52 shots since I shot a 90 to the green. It took me 52 to the green. It took me uh, 38 to get to the actual, onto the putting green. So you can actually see, you know, putting was actually a strength in relationship um, to strokes to green. So this player, if you look at their strokes to green, it took them 41 shots to get to the green. But you can see their total in that they played like a one under player and you can see that their total putts was 32.73 it was like an eight over player averaging roughly 33 putts so again you can see that that putting is as an eight over player outweighs that of the ball striking which is a one under and again uh kind of quantifies what we already see but that's kind of how we can use the gfi and the really cool part about the gfi as well if you understand these numbers you can come up with very specific training games um, so this player has six putts inside of 20 feet for birdie, two putts inside of eight. So you drop four balls from nine to 20, two balls, one to eight. And their goal is to make three plus birdies. That's kind of what they do now. So there's a lot of ways that you can apply the GFI. And we'll do another video on that one coming up shortly. But again, this is a really good way of starting to understand where to go work. Inside of GameForge, we do make it a little easier on you. We actually give you your target goals in relationship to scoring. So if this player is averaging two over par, our next goal is to get to one. Um, the left bar shows you currently what they're performing in each matrix. And everything in the right bar shows you kind of target goals. We light it up like a stoplight. Uh, green is good. You're at or above. Orange means you're close to at. Um, maybe transitioning one way or the other. Maybe going towards green to make it better. Or it could be slipping to red to be worse. So that's usually within a deviation or a certain percentage. And then red, of course, means I am underperforming at that zone or, or kind of understanding what that is. So once again, the, this gives you just a really simple way. I can just stare at it. Reds, I'm struggling. But then from there, I got to figure out which reds cost me the most, right? But before we look at that, uh, let's dump in here into two main definitions. Something inside of GameForge or you probably refer to inside your own game is there are areas that I do really well. We call those benchmarks, right? I benchmarked it. Here's the number. I'm hitting the number or I'm above the number. Benchmarks means whatever I'm doing inside of training, inside of what I do, it's working. Um, general rule, don't change it. If you're actually getting the job done, don't make it an issue and take away from that and cause it to become a problem. So I always say when you're really good at things, you benchmark it, you keep doing what you're doing, and you keep applying that same amount of time and effort. Make sure those numbers don't change. And then when we, inside of GameForge, we also talk about something called focus training or focus practice. We're going to pick one, maybe two items, depending on how much time we have in between events. 
uh, you know, what, what our actual training cycle looks like. Because if I got to play next week, training looks a whole lot different than if I'm playing six weeks from now. So we can actually change our scheduling, change how we set up training, uh, change how pieces come in and out, um, offer more time and things like that. So focus area, we like to say, I always like to say focus on one thing, one thing only makes it much easier. I'm going to work on X and I'm just going to put everything in, you know, that I need to to move X. And once I move X enough, that focus will be either split or will go to a new piece, right? So to me, I like to focus on the one thing, the one thing that I want to focus on. Because if I start focusing on too many pieces, then I can't really get better in a rate that I need to. So we have benchmarking and we have focus, right? So two main definitions. And then what I've done is come up with a little system that we call reps. So, you know, reps inside of training is repetition, right? Time after time. Well, I took that same word. I made a little acronym of it. So inside of training, when you're laying out your training sessions and you're actually training, we've got to make sure we hit these four things. One, relevancy, and we're going to dive in deeper. Is it is what I'm working on an area that I need to work on, and am I applying what I need to learn inside of that? Is it relevant to what I'm trying to do to get better? Again, if I'm training something that's making me 1% better, is that really relevant and getting me better holistically? Maybe 1%, but maybe there's 20% sitting over here that I'm not even touching. So relevancy, you know, again, you got to pay attention. Is this and this is, and if you think of relevancy, this really comes to performance and benchmarking. Are my scores, are my benchmarks, are my skills at the level that I need them to be to move forward? So that's relevancy, right? Efficient. Applying time. How much time in practice? How much time do I have in between events? Um, again, I want to be efficient in the way I train, and I want to be efficient on the manner that I learn. Again, I would really highly recommend you to go listen to a lot of Gareth McShay's um, videos in the past. Where he talks about learning, uh, again, as an older adult, excuse me, I'm an experienced adult, uh, my ability to learn is, is a very short window, 20 minutes, give or take. So if I train in a focus area more than 20 minutes, I'm really not, it's, after that, it's really not effective. But if I'm younger, 18-year-old, you know, a high school kid, things like that, their windows can be up to two hours of learning. So understanding that and how to bring things back to speed up the learning process, again, Gareth McShay will highlight a lot of that for you. But again, we want to be as efficient as we can inside of training because we don't want to waste your time as a player. We don't want to waste your time as a coach. So is what I'm doing being efficient? The next one is productive. So efficiency is kind of setting up times and understand how I want to move, train my create my training session, how much time I'm going to apply to stuff, long work, long-term long goals, short-term goals, all about time. Productive is is what I did actually moving the needle. It, you know, So this is where I think assessments come involved. So assessments are very productive. That gives you um, targeted training and basically goal setting and see how well we're doing at a certain skill or a certain part of the game. Um, Productive is over time is our drills actually moving our score. I don't want to sit there for a couple months and work on some drills and all this thinking I'm productive, but it's not moving scoring. It's if it's that is just called exercise, right? So when we train, we have to be productive. We have to be moving the needle. We have to be reflecting and say, is what we're doing actually making us better? And the final thing that I think everybody does a really bad job at, player wise, coach wise, you know, across the country, there are exceptions. There's always outliers. But you need to simulate golf. 
you know, can we get them to actually get on the golf course and do different stuff? Can we get them to be on TrackMan or FlightScope or whatever the other boxes are, um, Foresight, whatever, and actually have them hitting shots into greens and, you know, changing trajectories, changing shapes, doing different stuff, simulating what golf is, getting on a putting green, simulating that by never hitting the same putt twice, same thing with chipping. We need to simulate golf and put them inside of pressures. Uh, And again, we want to try to, because the way you learn to play golf, I hate to say it, is very simple. You go play golf. Uh, I think we spend too much time training components and not that don't always translate into golf. So every session, you should be simulating actually playing, applying these focus areas, applying these benchmarks areas, and making sure that you can take this to the golf course. So again, this would be reps, relevancy, efficiency, pr- productivity, and and simulate golf. Go play, right? So let's just take a, that same player we just looked at, and let's just kind of walk through kind of some relevancy, efficiency, production, and simulate. Let's see here. So the first thing we looked at, you remember we had, we weren't very good at short game. And we weren't very good at putting overall, right? So with putting, I really narrowed that down into three putts because the three putts was what 1.45 and a collegiate player, we want that under one. So there's definitely a half a shot we can kind of find with with that. And then if you actually kind of look through um, this player's short game, they do it really well all the way out. You know, so from the fairway, very good 20 to 30, three total shots. Uh, Something to think about, but not overly focused there. Bunker shot. Four shots, 20 to 30. Out of the rough, 10 to 20, we had 19 shots. Again, it matters. You like, But again, you know, at that rate, you know, they were getting up and down or hitting at P6 35% of the time, and it should have been closer to 70. So 35% of the time, they should have been a little bit better with P6. So we got 20 to 30 out of the fairway, 20 to 30 out of the bunker, and then we have a higher dis- – uh, dispersion rate of 10 to 20 with 19 shots out of the rough. And then, like I said, we also looked at three putts, where the three putts coming from, 11 to 20 feet. Uh, we had four three putts, which is, is a little high. 21 to 30, we had 63 putts. Uh, 31 to 40, we had five. But what we can see with the three putts, right, is at 11 to 20, she was averaging well f- past four feet. And we know once you get past four feet, the potential of three-putting grows exponentially, right? So, you know, from 11 to 20 and 20 to 30, she should be averaging three feet and in. And what we're starting to see is 11 to 20 is over four feet. 11, 21 to 30 on average is like almost eight feet. Uh, 31 to 40 is actually 10 feet past. So these zones, and then 41 to 50 and 51 to 60 are kind of coming back to what we would expect. So what we've got to figure out with this player is there's an aggressive streak or is it really bad reads? Because if you miss the putt low, it triples your error. Uh, Mark Sweeney just did a great video inside of uh, Fuel, inside of the most interesting graph, talking about how to avoid three putts as a tour player. That video would highlight this very well, so I encourage you to go watch that. But again, this is kind of where three putts are. They're averaging one and a half per round. We want that under one. So that's at least a half shot advantage that we can pick up right there with three putts, which is very unusual. Um, but that's an area that we can pick up very clean. So if I just kind of did the math, I actually said, all right, what percentage of the sh- of density, what are they? What are their gaps at? So scrambling is costing me 0.7 shots, and three putts are call- uh, costing me 0.5. So scramble is costing me more than three putts. So relevancy, that it kind of explains the two. Scrambling is something that is more 
but three putts, I think, is something that as a coach I could fix more quickly. So getting them to understand how to create speed, length of stroke, time of stroke, uh, get better reads, that's something I can teach them. Skill-wise, I can teach them in a day, and if they train it for a week or two, they would become really, really proficient at it. Scrambling from different lie conditions, different distances, that's a lot of different skills that have to be trained, a lot of different techniques, a lot of different equipment pieces. There's a lot of there. So to me, to be able to fix a scrambling piece in a week, maybe. Uh, but to me, that would be much more of a long-term fix. So what we're going to talk about next is efficiency, right? So let's look at the scrambler. To me, that would be more of a long-term fix. So we've got to find one shot inside of scrambling. So how are we going to do that? Well, because efficient time, I don't have as much time because I have an event coming up in a week or two uh, that I'm going to spend the majority of my time with three-putting. So what I'm going to start to do is add pieces as a coach and as a player that I need to start improving upon start doing assessments, start doing training, and starting to figure out what parts are giving me issues. But I'm going to slip those in, you know, inside of training sessions, but I'm not going to go crazy with it. They're just going to kind of slip them in and out, kind of bring them back around. But I'm going to slowly build over time with that. And then again, so so again, if, if, if we kind of looked at them side by side, scrambling would be more of a long-term training uh, progress because there was multiple shots, multiple pieces that I got to fix. Where three putt is basically short-term training. You know, most three putts at this level, college player, their start lines are going to be pretty good. So it's really a speed and a read component. And again, that's something I know as a coach I can fix rather quickly by using aim point, uh, speed and read stuff. Uh, again, scrambling would be more of a long-term fix. Where three putt, I think I could schedule time, really pour in a lot of information get them better very quickly, very simple skill sets to improve upon, and put them in a very competitive you know, training loop where we can pick up a lot quick. So to me, that would be more, you know, more time inside the schedule where the scrambling would be less time and kind of woven in and out, uh, kind of following the model of Gareth McShay. Um, pace to the circle, back to learning. So again, how often does, do these drills come back? You know, so the pace when I'm doing long term, it's going to come in and out every couple of days, every couple of weeks. These drills and these components and these assessments will come come in and out where, you know, kind of as I'm trying to move this player quick, I'm going to be pouring in tons of time and information and training in this one single area. So, again, you can kind of see efficiency wise how I'm actually applying time. So to me, the scramble would be more of a scalpel approach. I'm going to start sliding pieces in, training pieces, technique pieces, concept, all those pieces segmented throughout a training session over a longer period of time where the three putts more of a hammer approach, boom, we're just going to hit you with it and get better, right? So again, the efficiency of time is also not just time inside of training, but it's also how long do I have in between events? How often do I use it inside of training? You know, how many days in a row, things like that. So again, anything with time is we're trying to be efficient. Hope that makes sense. Uh, the next thing we're going to talk about is being productive. So once we start to, you know, lay out our map and we're looking at trends, we're looking at assessments, we're looking at all these pieces, uh, what we need to start paying attention to is our productivity. Are we getting better? Is what we're training getting us better? Uh, what we're going to start to find out is, let's say, our P6, you know, or our, our three-putt was the main area. So the first thing we're going to talk about is concepts. Like, what is a good putt from, a, you know, 10 to 20 feet? You had five three putts there. What is considered a good putt? What should your leave look like? 
And does that concept match what the data tells us? So again, from 10 to 20 feet, we want to average two feet past the hole. That's it, two feet past the hole if we miss. So this person was averaging four, four and a half feet. So there was a concept missing, right? They're being probably a little too aggressive, running it a little too far back, trying to make putts. But again, once you get past three feet, you know, you start introducing the three putt quickly. So again, these concepts matter, you know, 10 to 20, uh, again, two feet past 20 to 30, we're going to 10, 10% short, 10% long, three feet short, three feet long is good. Um, but you know, again, is there concepts, right? How to create, generate speed, uh, things like that. So a lot of times what you'll find out is a lot of players issues are actually at the conceptual level. What they think they need to do or they think has to happen to be able to perform might be a little skewed or it could be 180 degrees opposite. So concepts a lot of times can clear up and, and free up training quickly. And then inside of the concepts, then we talk about process. You know, what were you targeting? What are your benchmarks? What are your goals? What, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? Set up to the ball, to the club, you know, motion of the body, motion of the club, equipment, right tool, needed tool. So what we can start to do is once we start going through these productivities, once we start doing assessments and we understand strengths and weaknesses, why I'm missing certain chips, why I three putt, we can really narrow in on concepts and actual components that are preventing them from performing. So we can tree out and show you exactly where to go train. And that's what we want to be able to do because if we can tree out, show where to train, show how we're getting better, how our production is getting better, our efficiency inside of training is better, our relevancy is better, all of a sudden our score is better. It's not rocket science. We're golf coaches, right? So that's kind of how we can start moving a player. And the last thing is just simulate golf. Like, don't train by just hitting balls and trying to create launch angles and spin rates. All those are important, but how does that spin rate interact with the green and what is that going to do? They need to understand that. That's a concept. You know, how can I shape it this way, shape it that way, change the trajectory? What would that do? You know, so if you're if you're having players changing trajectories or trajectories and launch angles and all that and not taking them that next step and say, all right, when it hits the green, what would happen? What do you think would happen? Well, what if you change this? What would happen? Get them to learn and understand what they're doing, why they're doing and how it relates to golf. That's coaching. Get away from just technique. That's the worst thing we can do for players is just teach by technique. So simulate golf. You can use your GFI. Use assessments. You apply your GFI. Uh, play on course. You know, again, like I said, if you understand your GFI, you can say, all right, we're doing putting drills, you know, basically 20 feet and in. How many putts do you have for birdie? You know, 9 to 20. How many do you have putts from 1 to 8? You could do uh, a scramble game. How many... On average, how many P6s do you have? How many P12s? How many opportunities? And how many bogeys you're making? Can we reduce that? So the beauty of the GFI is it gives you a lot of a lot of games, a lot of understanding, and you get to compete against yourself. And then, like I said, you can set your next level goals and go chase that. So make sure you simulate golf because we are training golfers to be golfers, not driving range robots. Uh, now, if you're really good with the driver and that's all you do and you want to go to long drive stuff, okay, hit your driver, enjoy that. But, you know, again, there's not a lot of long drive guys on tour. Matter of fact, there's none, right? Because they're very skilled in what they're trying to do and they're applying things differently and they're okay with a huge miss where golf doesn't allow you to do that. I guess there's one or two of the guys that are in long drives that are trying to play. But again, you know, if, if being really good at one thing was, you know, that great, then, Every long drive champion would be a great golfer, right? 
It's not the way it works. They're really good at driving the golf ball. So again, if you want them to be golfers, get them on the golf course. And if you can't get in the golf course because of weather, because of you know an indoor studio or whatever, then make sure we're simulating golf rounds by shaping holes, shaping shots, telling them what they're trying to do, and then can they hit the shot that they need to. So those would be your reps, right? Make sure that everything you do is relevant. Make sure everything is efficient. Are we being productive in our time man- management, skill development, all those components, and then simulate golf. Um, so that was just a quick video I wanted to shoot. Again, this is something that I'm teasing out. I would love to get feedback from you guys as coaches and players, maybe how to apply this, if you have questions, if I didn't really go into enough detail or I just confused you because I'm really good at doing that with people. I've come to learn. So if there's anything you want to add to it, take away from it, um, think this component would be cool, but you could, you know, here's a different thing about time you could think about. I'd love to hear your feedback because, again, what we want to do is create a really good training program for players and coaches. And if this is beneficial, I hope this helps you. Um, this is kind of the way I've been training players for years, and this is the first time I've put it down kind of on paper and really given it thoughts and came up with a really cool acronym, right? Reps. No, I'm kidding. Uh, let me know where I can help. Once again, this is Brian Bailey with uh, My Game Forge, Fuel, Instagram, email. Find me at the top there. Thank you for joining this In the Hunt solo, Brian Bailey. And uh, Mark Sweeney and Gareth McShay are actually coming to Charlottesville in June. So we will be together and we'll try to record one or two big group podcasts while we are together here in Charlottesville doing some um, college coaches and aim point seminars. So thank you so much. And we look forward to uh, bringing you more information in the future. Bye now. This has been a fuel production.